Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders and using information technology to improve healthcare and healthcare services. With me on today's show are Ryan Dempsey, Argentieri, Deputy Director, Office of Technology at the Office of the National Coordinator. Dr. Neil Evans, Senior Advisor to the CIO and Chief Officer Connected Care at the Veterans Health Administration. Carl Mathias, Chief Information Officer, Health and Human Services. Mur Ali Gandarajan, Healthcare Field CTO at Snowflake. Jonathan Album, Federal CTO, ServiceNow. And Seth Kindley, Principal Data Architect, U.S. Public Sector, Pure Storage. We're talking healthcare, we're talking federal healthcare. Ryan, we're going to start with you and maybe just a couple of minutes on you. What is the Office of the National Coordinator? What do they do? And then, of course, what do you do? And then what's the state of the state there? Sure thing. Thanks so much for having me. Um, For those who don't know, the Office of the National Coordinator for Health IT is primarily charged with driving uh, standards and programs that improve interoperability across the healthcare system. And we do that in a few ways. One with the uh, identification of standards that um, are adopted and and ideally used by industry, primarily electronic health records vendors and developers of uh, really a number of the supporting products that support those EHR vendors and that kind of universe is expanding, especially since the pandemic. We can talk about that a little later. Um, Two, we do that through policy coordination, primarily with CMS uh, and CDC in terms of um, with CMS to make sure that the payment regulations and incentives are tied and correspond to the certification of health IT products. And then third is the coordination of this approach across uh, our federal programs and partners to ensure that For example, with the use of uh, what's called fire standards, uh, which are primarily and very prevalent in other industries, such as uh, the financial services industry, that uh, our our programs across government are leveraging the latest innovations and not recreating the wheel. So um, for those who don't know, fire stands for fast healthcare interoperability resources, and we're seeing um, a really large uptick in the adoption and harmonization of fire standards um, across uh, that certified health IT landscape. We are really proud in this in this calendar year to say that the 900 plus developers who are part of our program have uh, attested to the new requirements and regulations that were introduced in approximately March 2020. There was a two year uh, compliance timeline, and we had 100% uh, attestation, which is pretty amazing. So that means that those developers have to uh, attest that they are going to make that functionality available to providers, uh, which includes clinicians, hospitals, health plans, um, federally qualified health centers, uh, and increasingly uh, more community-based um, health organizations. So that will really, we think, be a game changer in the future for true interoperability of healthcare. So that data moving seamlessly across different vendor platforms and different networks, um, which is you know, certainly a lofty goal and there's some challenges and hiccups that we still have to work out, uh, but it's, it's pretty incredible patient empowerment and uh, reduction of clinical burden from the, those two perspectives. 
a tremendous amount of coordination coming out of the office of the national coordinator, no doubt about that. Uh, Dr. Neil Evans, uh, tell us what's happening at VHA. What's the state of the state there? Sure, Luke. Um, I'd love to talk about that. In the Department of Veterans Affairs and specifically in the Veterans Health Administration, obviously health IT is uh, a core part of how we deliver our mission of caring for more than 6 million veterans a year through our healthcare facilities uh, by our healthcare providers across our large healthcare network. And technology you know, is a part of what drives those workflows. So a lot of exciting things happening um, in VHA and supported, again, I also serve as a senior advisor to the CIO in our Office of Information and Technology. And so um, this is really a partnership between the Veterans Health Administration and the Office of Information and Technology in delivering value to both um, veterans, the veterans that we serve, millions of veterans across this country, and then the more than 300,000 staff who come to work every day to deliver care to those um, veterans. I think maybe I'd just highlight um, here in some initial remarks, you know, we still are dealing with the effects of the pandemic. And, you know, we have seen just a huge transformation in how we're able to support care, leveraging health information technology in the VA. Um, as of um, July 25th, so just, you know, a week or two ago, um, more than 20 0.7 million telehealth visits have taken place during the pandemic in the VA. Um, we've seen more than 2.3 million veterans use telehealth to access their VA healthcare. That's 39% of all veterans who uh, receive care through VA are connecting to us at some point in time using telehealth, which is really uh, remarkable. Um, when we add in digital access through our mobile app um, through uh, mobile apps through the, our, our patient portal. Um, it's more than 5 million, more than 1 million a month who are connecting with us uh, digitally. So what's exciting to me is how health IT is really directly impacting and allowing veterans to engage um, in improving their health and their experience of receiving health care from the VA as a result of our investments in health. A real confluence of events there. Um, I just, I can't let that number go. Uh, that many touches uh, sort of as we currently sit, what was it just roughly prior to the pandemic in comparison? In yeah, some- I, you know, we would do... Um, so we would, just to give you kind of a sense for the scale, we would do maybe 2,000 2000 to 4,000 video visits uh, per month before the pandemic uh, to the home. And we're, we're now doing uh, 30,000 plus per day. Um, incredible. That is amazing. Um, well, it, it's amazing just from the scale, but it's amazing that uh, the uh, the outreach to the healthcare it's uh, impressive. I'm sure you'll have more to uh, elaborate on that, but uh, hats off to all of you for enabling that for all the veterans. Carl, you've been over at Health and Human Services now at the Mantle there for what three or four months, I think, maybe five. 
uh, tell us about uh, what you're what you're discovering over there in uh, the state of the state, as I love to say. <laughs> yeah, congratulations hey, on the appointment, by the way. Yeah, thanks, Luke. Uh, well, I, I think uh, you know, I if I could talk about previous jobs for a second, it's it's gone from uh, working Department of Defense, where you know, Air Force, where I talked about the mission could be summarized as putting ordnance on targets, and then you go to the U.S. Marshals, where it's catching violent fugitives. You know, my staff goes, and why did you come to healthcare? Uh, and I think the uh, summary version of that is uh, we're saving lives at Health and Human Services. I mean, uh, this is a, a great mission. And uh, what I've discovered, Luke, is I completely did not understand the scope and the size of the department. Uh, so in since March, when I've been here, uh, what I've had to do is go through and I'm still going through learning what every everything does because it's so big. Uh, for example, we've got uh, the operating divisions and examples of those are Food and Drug Administration, National Institutes of Health, uh, you know, CDC, and then the staff divisions, uh, for example, Ryan with ONC. And my job is to make sure that I enable their missions from an IT perspective. So I go from managing, you know, a, a hundred million dollar IT budget to now providing oversight to $7.2 billion of IT spend across the department. And you dig into that. And what I'm discovering is you go to NIH and you go, well, this is one operating division. Then you discover NIH has 27 different institutes underneath it, each wow. with their own CIOs and their own uh, operating budgets. That's just one operating division. So uh, the, the scope and the breadth of the things that are happening at the Department of Health and Human Services is just... Uh, uh, astounding to me uh, and fun uh, digging into it there. Uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it along the way, but there is a lot of exciting things going on in terms of what's being done with uh, the data that we have, uh, cybersecurity initiatives, uh, artificial, how artificial intelligence is going to be used, is being used. Um, so it's been exciting. It's been fun. I'm still learning. I will probably be learning uh, four to five years from now. I will still be learning what's going on in HHS through the scope. But uh, lots, lots of exciting things going on. Fantastic. And uh, I think it's a culmination of the various uh, different experiences in your career that's brought you to this point. And I'm sure you're going to do fantastic and you are doing fantastic. So once again, congratulations there. Mara Ali, uh, you know, when we think about healthcare, we think about an incredible amount of data. And then I think about the analytics and I think about Snowflake. So tell us what you all are doing in this space and just give us a state of the state about what you're seeing, what your customers are asking for, what you all have yourself involved in to provide these solutions and capabilities to these various entities. Um, thanks, Luke, for having me. Absolutely. Um, I want to touch upon a couple of uh, topic areas today. One is uh, we launched our healthcare life census data cloud during HIMSS conference earlier this year. The goal here is to enable healthcare organization uh, seamlessly collaborate on their health data uh, in a secure and governed way. If you take a healthcare data cloud, um, uh, you know, I, healthcare organizations have various amounts of data, right? As you rightly pointed about. Um, the way if you look at it, they have first party data, which essentially is a patient data. And as they start interacting with other stakeholders in the healthcare ecosystem, they start exchanging data, right? Uh, and that generates significant amount of third party data. Now with the data cloud, they have ability to bring all of them together, 
combine that with any sort of publicly available data sets in Snowflake Marketplace and uh, generate whole patient view and generate insights that they have never been able to do before. Right. Um, the other area where we have made some significant progress is that uh, we have built solutions jointly with our uh, uh, with our partners that helps with ingestion of various health data formats such as HL7, fire resources, um, CCDA, um, natively into Snowflake. Like, what do I mean by that is uh, we bring processing of the data to where the data is, thereby bringing efficiency, making it simple for healthcare organizations to adopt um, uh, and, and, and implement. You know, you talked about Snowflake Marketplace, and that's an interesting concept there. And uh, I think a real valuable one that you all have been able to lay out that capability and allow that um, uh, type of environment to ingest all this information and process it. So we really do appreciate that. Jonathan, ServiceNow, this platform never ceases to amaze me. And uh, I know that there were a lot of folks that were using it for simple things like COVID tracking, et cetera, et cetera. But I certainly know that you all are doing much more comprehensive things in the healthcare space. Give us a top line there. Thank you, Luke. Uh, you know, when you think about the challenges that healthcare organizations have, uh, disconnected systems, silos, those are the kinds of things that ServiceNow is perfectly positioned to help them overcome. So we're, we're doing this across government. We're doing this across private sector healthcare organizations. And in the past uh, year or so, we've taken these sort of core concepts of connecting data and connecting systems and connecting organizations, and we've built them directly into the ServiceNow platform. So we created a healthcare and life sciences capability. Oh. You know, that's that's in use in, in the in the commercial uh, in the commercial area to um, really help streamline operations, uh, help healthcare organizations become. Uh, more proactive and predictive, more resilient, and provide uh, capabilities to the providers and staff of these organizations to really unlock productivity. You know, when you look at those processes that have a lot of manual steps, if you're able to think about how the work and the data flow and how you want them to flow, and then, you know, using ServiceNow and, and pre-built workflows or custom workflows that you can build can really change the way the, the organization operates. And when, um, you know, when those workflows are really thought through and the way the work gets done, the way people are served is, you know, front in mind, the experiences and the outcomes of people, the providers and the patients, uh, we find that those experiences improve. And uh, the, just one, one other thing real quick, Luke, that, you know, we're, we're able to provide is a consumer kind of experience to a, to a, to a patient, you know, whether it's it's um, pre-visit management or it's um, uh, support services, if you can access those on a mobile device or you can provide consent or fill out the forms before you see a provider um, online, and that digital documentation, uh, you know, we find makes a big difference in the experience. And when all the data is available, you can provide reports to the to the providers or to the patients that help them be more in control of their of their healthcare data, and we're we're finding a lot of um, a lot of very positive response from these kinds of capabilities. Now we're applying those into the government space. 
no question that that platform is made to order for that. And I uh, certainly heard Ryan talk about customer spirit. Uh, experience and and Dr. Neal as well. Uh, we'll call it patient experience here. Uh, super important uh, part of the evolution of this capability. Seth, how about pure storage? Once again, when I think about healthcare, I think about a lot of data. I know you all are well beyond just storing data. Give us yeah. a state of the state. Thank you, Luke. Uh, the state of the state is that pure has evolved much like everybody else has had to evolve, especially with the pandemic and how things have changed. So instead of focusing on just storing data, we've become a solutions company that allows you to automate and orchestrate a number of disparate applications, whether it be next generation sequencing and having to do pre and post processing of sequencing or your EHR. To Neil's point, having the influx of telemedicine and virtual conferencing coming in, you have to store that data and that data needs to be stored effectively with an idea around volume versus velocity. And if you can do both of them, to help accelerate the patient's experience, you know, faster is always better, essentially. And safe and secure storage of all that data has really become paramount. Uh, a lot of people have started paying attention to regulatory and statutory compliance with a sort of an eye on all of the detail, as opposed to it being something where you'd physically go. And obviously that was private. You were in a closed room. Now you're doing it potentially from anywhere. With the advent of uh, obviously smartphones and tablets, you can do it from the beach while you're on vacation. So you have to basically secure the data end to end, be able to prove so and do it without uh, negatively affecting the speed. So Pure, <clears throat> excuse me, has really pivoted to focus on automation, orchestration, security, and the availability of all the data, no matter what discipline it came out of. Like we said, could be all the way from sequencing to just a, a table entry in your EHR for the last time that you went to the doctor. A very interesting concept there about extending that type of uh, technology capability. And once again, we're focusing on the patient, the citizen, super important to do that. All right, we're going to wrap it up here uh, for this segment and uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about healthcare. I'm going to start getting into specific programs that we'd like to highlight. Dr. Evans, I want to start with you over at VHA. Give us an example of a specific program you'd like to uh, highlight uh, for the listening audience. Sure, Luke. Well, I just wanted to um, come back briefly to what I mentioned in the first segment about telehealth. And I wanted to just provide one sort of adjustment to the data that we were doing about 2000 video visits per day before the pandemic, which was quite a lot. We were one of the leaders in delivering um, telehealth to the home uh-huh. and that increased to more than 30 to 35,000 per day now. And just to give you a sense to follow up on that, that's um, uh, over a 1200% increase um, in FY20 compared to FY2019. So from before the pandemic, um, to be on, and what we're seeing in 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 BHA is that that desire for connections where there's a seamless uh, in, intersection between both virtually delivered care, whether that be through secure email, whether it be through telehealth, um, or what you know the virtual capabilities, connected capabilities, are increasingly part of care right alongside face-to-face care. Both of them matter. 
And it's that, that sort of seamless connect, seamless combination of both that's really appealing um, to those who are receiving care from VA. Um, on the topic of a specific project, to sort of take that the next step, right? Relationships are super important in healthcare and telehealth technologies let us connect um, veterans and their caregivers with the staff members, VA staff who are there to care for them. But without the data to support clinical care delivery, um, we're missing something. And I think one of the things that really excites me in this um, follows some of Ryan's comments in the, in the first segment is the volume of data interchange that's occurring across the health sector that continues to increase. And the real opportunity as we increasingly are leveraging some of the standards that ONC is, is, is um, helping to, to promulgate across the industry, um, the, the, the potential is really significant. But I, I'll just highlight um, our um, um, joint health information exchange. This is a shared effort between the Department of Defense and the VA. Um, and the DOD and the VA as a shared joint health information exchange are sharing data with now with more than 65% of private sector hospitals. And by the end of 2022, we're going to also connect to the care quality network, which will increase our sharing to more than 90% of private sector hospitals. To give you a sense of what that means from a volume perspective, VA and DOD are delivering nearly 5 million documents to community partners. That means private sector health providers are able to see um, um, records of the care that we're delivering in the VA and DOD to support the care of the, of the veteran or service member who's in front of them. And we're retrieving more than 40 million documents per month for VA and DOD providers to have access to that information that's occurring in the private sector healthcare system for the delivery of care uh, to the patients sitting in front of us um, in, the, um, in the federal healthcare system. So super exciting to me. And the opportunity there, and I'm sure Ryan probably has some comments uh, on this further, um, as we implement FIRE, as we continue to push this data interchanges, we start to meaningfully insert that data into providers' workflows and into the hands of patients. I think there's a real uh, tremendous opportunity in front of us over the next couple of years. Absolutely. And we're going to hold on, Brian, for a minute. I'm going to jump over to Jonathan because, I, I again, I thought about the scale of that customer experience. And I think about things like IoT devices and some of the things that are going to come. Maybe maybe that's your answer to your futures question. Uh, but give us an example, Jonathan, of some of the stuff that you are doing right now that you'd like to highlight in sort of the healthcare segment. Sure. Um, you know, it's a hard question to answer because ServiceNow is – doing important work at agencies all across HHS, uh, doing important work at the VA. Um, you know, it, it, at CMS, for example, we've built an employee portal where we can consolidate access to services. At the VA, um, IT service management alone has helped make the Office of uh, uh, Information and Technology a lot more efficient, saved millions of dollars in the way that they uh, do their efforts. Uh, we've helped them save lots of money 
with through software asset management and, you know, reduce cl- clinician time just through simple things like self-service for, for um, PIV exemptions and password resets. But, you know, you mentioned in the beginning, a lot of agencies used ServiceNow as part of their COVID response. Exactly. And that was, uh, that was a game changer in so many places because, you know, very quickly we were able to create emergency response capabilities and vaccine management capabilities and vaccine status reporting. I think over 300,000 federal employees vaccination statuses were captured in service now during a very short period of time when that was a really critical um, uh, really critical uh, action for the administration. But when when COVID hit originally, and we we're trying to figure out why some people became more sick than others, agencies and offices at the National Institutes of Health took on a lot of these challenges. And um, we worked with uh, the National Cancer Institute in that case to build a portal where patients and doctors could securely share samples of um, COVID results and related data, patient data. So researchers could start to think about um, factors, genetic factors that may increase one's likelihood for severe COVID. And, you know, we, we used the ServiceNow platform to quickly deploy that kind of capability. And then in a very agile manner, continue to update it and, and modify it so we could capture information related to um, uh, to changes that were occurring, like once the vaccination was introduced, vaccines were introduced, and how would that impact severe COVID and other things? So that's just one of many examples where the ServiceNow platform was deployed quickly and securely and positioned in a way where um, both doctors and patients and researchers could collaborate. So it's very customer focused, uh, but also employee focused kind of set of workflows and capabilities to streamline a, a really important operation at a time where you don't have a lot of time to design and redesign and deploy and redeploy and you know think through um, every aspect of things. You have to go really fast. And we were able to go really fast with the National Cancer Institute in this case, and it made a big difference. Really fast and very secure. And all the uh, sort of the, the, the platform environment comes to bear, you're able to stack these applications on top of it and develop them very quickly. It's fantastic what you all have been able to do with that platform. All right, Ryan, we're coming over to you to talk about, uh, well, whatever you'd like to talk about as far as highlighting a program. Sure, sure. So um, I, several times here. <laughs> so I thought you're were, you're were skipping me because the data the data integrity is not the not the most uh, sexy conversation um, topic to to get into. But we um, I'll, I'll just <laughs> um, but just uh, just a few points to add. So we have um, really a prioritization on the on that data quality and on the integrity of the data. And we've been working in earnest on that for several years through our U.S. core data for interoperability, which we believe has uh, been one of our more successful programs to date, just in the sense that uh, it's established that minimum data set for the healthcare delivery system. And while it is not comprehensive um, by design, because we want to make sure that Again, the playing field is level and it makes sense from a provider burden perspective. So if you're in in the context of a a telehealth visit, you might not have time to um, add all of the different features and and the narrative text and all the different components that a lot of people are really interested in across the continuum. But um, we don't want to enforce anything and require anything that doesn't make sense um, for, for the majority uh, of the system. So that is uh, really sets the standard for the data elements and the corresponding vocabulary standards 
It's agnostic to format, which is um, really helpful. And it is updated on an annual basis through a transparent uh, consensus based in the sense that anyone, we get a, hundreds and hundreds of submissions and comments from all across uh, the, the country. So not just our federal partners, but um, you know, nonprofit organizations and advocacy groups and provider organizations. And that has been uh, not only helped create the foundation so that you can move quickly. So we talked about speed and the need to move quickly and the need to be able to move the data, the data as fast as possible. But you can't do that um, without first building a strong foundation. So I used to be in the commercial building industry. Um, and my I had colleagues who had been around for decades who built, you know, the largest skyscrapers in the world. And they always said, you know, you can't build a skyscraper on a pile of sand. It's cliche, but I think it holds true in healthcare. And I, I think about it all the time when I um, am trying to <laughs> encourage people to care about the, the semantics of a, of a data element. Um, but that has also led to the an extension of that program to make sure that where we need to be more thoughtful and more expansive in what we're covering and the use cases and the problems that we're trying to solve through data, we're doing that in conjunction with our federal partners through something called USCDI Plus. Uh, and that's going to allow us to get into more of the granular needs specific to lab interoperability, um, health equity and risk drivers, which is huge for uh, the VA and, and really for all patient populations across the country. And there's a number of other subsets that um, there's lots of information on our website you can go check out. Um, and all of this, just some real life examples as how things have played out in, in the course of the pandemic, uh, we've been able to leverage uh, the smart health card um, standard, which many of you know and have utilized likely very often, especially when you think about having to show proof of vaccination, for example, but also with your, um, if you have an app that's based on whether it's an Apple or um, some other type of health card platform to get your records and to see that information more seamlessly, I would say it's still relatively um, new from kind of the bell curve of adoption in, in terms of how many consumers who, of course, have to have that um, higher technical um, capability in their smartphone, for example. But that has really started to promulgate, as, as Dr. Evans said, and, and be something that developers and industry providers and partners, um, Snowflake's a great example of where uh, we're seeing that when we look at the standards that are have already been tested and are, are tried and true, we can really apply them to harder problems that, that require pharmacy providers and, and other non-traditional uh, health IT actors to leverage those standards to move large amounts of data accurately, securely, and quickly. Um, we did that through behind the scenes, standing up vaccinefinder.gov. We're doing this now through the uh, capture of over-the-counter um, COVID test results. Um, these are the things that you know people don't wouldn't know about necessarily because they're not, you know, headline news per se. Um, and then hopefully we'll be extending some of that, those successes to uh, programs with our with partners like NIH, ASPR, of course, with um, CDC, FDA, and others just to um, leverage and make sure that anyone, whether it's the rise of the number of telehealth visits and how to make sure that that information is captured properly or um, continued and expanded interoperability of networks. And we'll, uh, you'll, some of you might be hearing more about this and have strong opinions about it, 
with the trusted exchange framework and common agreement uh, has is another success from this year in terms of the, the draft requirements uh, being published and made public um, for all different types of developers, including core infrastructure providers and companies to really be at the table to start to uh, weigh in on what the security requirements are to make sure whether it's a patient consent issue or um, a network security issue that the permissions are in place and that we are being really thoughtful and thorough in what we are requiring of industry moving forward. A lot of coordination activity there and a good catch on, uh, look, you can secure the data, but if the quality of the data is not there, then you don't have the foundation to work off of. You referenced Snowflake. I'm going to go to you, uh, Marali, and uh, give us an example of a program you'd like to highlight. Um, absolutely, uh, um, Luca. Um, and great uh, points from uh, Ryan uh, from ONC. Um, I want to double click on uh, the data collaboration and uh, the, um, the need to consolidate all of the data and eventually generate insights that will drive patient experience that uh, came up in the discussion today from a context of two different use cases. Uh, one is uh, uh, accountable care organization uh, who are participating in uh, CMS Medicare SAT savings program uh, can hugely benefit from such a data collaboration and data interoperability. Participating providers in an ACO can now um, seamlessly come together, exchange data, um, and uh, with our technology, they can bring all of them together uh, to build a view of the patients that will help them understand the, um, the, the care gaps that may exist within their patient population. The ACOs can then effectively use to, uh, that data or information to close the care gaps and thereby uh, uh, performing well in an ACO model, right? Uh, great use case and again, greatly ties to Ryan, uh, what you spoke about in terms of um, the interoperability, how uh, you know uh, organizations are gonna come together. Um, the second use case is uh, from a context of value-based care. Um, if you take a look at uh, healthcare providers, um, who are getting into a value-based contract with health plans, um, they often rely on uh, member attribution data, clients' data from uh, health plans. Um, the way they have traditionally gone about doing this is um, they'll request for a file. Uh, the, the plan ships a file to them through an FTP. Uh, the provider gets them, um, goes through a quality process check. Uh, but during the process, if you look at it, um, it's very time-consuming. And if there are any quality issues, they have to go back and redo the whole cycle with the health plan. Uh, but with our uh, data collaboration and data sharing technologies, they can now seamlessly come together onto our platform, um, exchange that data, and cut down that uh, time to insights, right? Uh, and, and this will greatly help uh, any, any healthcare organizations to be successful uh, in delivering the uh, promise of value-based care. A very interesting concept there and a lot of uh, coordination behind the scenes, so to speak, to make that uh, that, ex that patient experience, if you will, Carl, I'm going to roll up to you. I know you've only been there for uh, a short amount of time, but no question you all are involved in several different programs over there. Can you highlight one? Uh, I'm going to cheat, Luke. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to mention two. I'm going to deep dive one. So, uh, And sure. I think Jonathan uh, could uh, identify with this, that uh, as a department CIO, uh, you own nothing. You're responsible for everything. And uh, <laughs> that's what I'm discovering. Uh, we got so a smile out of Jonathan. 
<laughs> yeah. So, but uh, you know, so I'll mention a couple of programs. But uh, you know, my job is to enable the operating divisions and staff divisions to do their job. And so uh, you look at a couple of these things. Some really exciting things going on. For example, with Vid Desai, the CIO of the Food and Drug Administration, uh, he's working some AI projects uh, to improve our health inspection program. Uh, some exciting things happening there with AI and how they select what should be inspected. Uh, if you go over to Andrea Norris, National Institutes of Health. She's done uh, some fantastic work in putting together uh, data storage solutions amongst the cloud service providers to get better rates and come up with ways to do mass storage. We're talking 170 petabytes of research information here and allow researchers to share. So, you know, when you dig into what the operating divisions to do are doing, there's a lot of really great projects going on that have been going on for a while. But there is actually one that I own that uh, has been going on for a while, I think is doing some great work, uh, runs out of my shop, uh, and that is uh, associated with the risk management across the healthcare sector of the United States. And we don't, uh, I know we're, you know, you think health IT, you may not think about this, but, you know, when we talk about critical infrastructure of the United States, a lot of people think of the energy grid, uh, but I'm sure Ryan would agree. What we really also have to think about is that IT infrastructure that keeps our hospitals, our clinics, uh, the pharmacies all running. And so that is one of the things I take care of through two different uh, programs. One of them is called the Health Sector Cybersecurity Coordination Center, HC3. And what this does is it goes out and analyzes threats to the public health infrastructure and develops alerts and analysis and reports so that we can let you know, uh, partnering institutions know about possible issues. We also go through and look at new URLs as they're published and if they're healthcare related, we'll look to see if they're scams or they're putting out malware. Give you an example, uh, I've got the stats right in front of me. Uh, last week alone, we looked at uh, about 1,300, 1,400 URLs. We sent down 162 takedown notices to the uh, internet service providers because they were dishing out nonsense. Uh, and so we partner also also with the Office of the Inspector General uh, so that when there are data breaches, uh, we assist with sending out victim notifications. Like last week, there were five of them sent out uh, for uh, issues that happened across the sector. Uh, additional program we run is one that is really effective is a government industry partnership program. Uh, it's called the 405D program. That's because of the statute. It's a section of it. But we've got 230, over 230 industry leaders that represent over a thousand hospitals, clinics, pharmacies, you name it, that participate in this. And we work together to develop guides, procedures, things like that to enhance uh, uh, the security of the healthcare infrastructure. And so well, the primary product, and you can uh, uh, go out and look at this, you can go to hc3.gov, uh, the 405D uh, .gov is also out there. You can look, uh, there's a guide called the Health Industry Cybersecurity Practices Guide, which my staff affectionately pronounces HICCUP. Uh, but that uh, guide has been cited and used all over the place. In the last 12 months uh, on social media, we've made, we've done 450 posts to kind of broadcast the procedures and best practices, uh, received 400,000 hits on it, uh, 370,000 were this year alone. Uh, the program 
programs just gained interest and is starting to roll even stronger and stronger. Uh, we're working with OMB, working with the White House on improving uh, this cybersecurity across the healthcare sector. So there's, I think this program is having a true real effect on security. And I think there's a lot of exciting things are gonna continue to happen. And of course, we're partnering with ONC. So, you know, Ryan knows all about this, uh, but uh, just lots of good things happening there, Luke. Sounds like there's a lot of moving parts going on, all good. And we really do appreciate all the work. We're going to take a small break and we're going to be right back. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on the Federal News Network. We're talking about healthcare. We're just getting into specific programs. I'm going to toss it over to you, Seth at Pure Storage. Give us an example of a program that you all are working on in this sector that you'd like to highlight. Yeah, thanks, Luke. I think one of the largest one, and it's somewhat purposefully nebulous, is just the data center modernization and data center consolidation. Whereas Ryan talked about, foundationally, we have to have the fastest infrastructure available and the most secure infrastructure available to really augment these sort of higher in the stack applications. So if we're talking about analytics, Sometimes it's more advantageous to run it closer to the data set if it's gigantic, for instance. So there are certain data sets where gravity and locality is certainly um, something you have to pay attention to, as well as, you know, security has been thematically one of the biggest things we've talked about. Having a secure infrastructure that allows for legally non-repudiatable sort of evidentiary uh immutability is, is is certainly an important thing, right? You want to be able to prove that these data sets that are maybe not reproducible, right? It came off telemetry that is not going to be, uh, can't be reproduced, will never happen again. You want to ensure that when it lands on that infrastructure that you can prove definitively that it hasn't been modified, that the golden set is there. And of course, we all want to be good stewards of taxpayer dollars and the uh, the other piece of the infrastructure, which is energy, as Carl put out. So having this infrastructure that is power efficient, that is effective and is secure is one of the biggest things to foundationally set it up for success, because these are no longer silos of excellence, as I like to call them. This is a collaborative investment that everybody has to make. They're pieces of this puzzle where you need the service now, you need the snowflake, you need storage on-prem. If you can't go to the cloud underlying all of it, that helps facilitate patient care and speed. So we have to work in concert, not in lieu of one another anymore. So that's been the biggest thing is just evangelizing that this is no longer necessarily a one-shot solution. You're going to have to team, you're going to have to collaborate, and we're all going to have to work together to have all the pieces in the right place. Otherwise, it may not work, or it's going to work in a fashion that wasn't any different or better, right? Status quo is not what we need. Data is getting much larger and time for results need to be much faster. So how do you do more with less? You build a better foundation, as Ryan put it. Uh, absolutely. All right, we're gonna uh, roll into top priorities. Uh, Ryan, we're gonna start with you. Your very number one top priority for this year. Okay, tough question. Our top priority for this year is interoperability of networks based on robust health IT standards that I already talked about that are then certified and required and, and that we see come to life in the marketplace, uh, whether it's through the advancement of API-based 
systems or um, just inclusion of all the new innovations like Seth talked about, um, that those workflows are taken into consideration up front and everything is well co coordinated across um, our federal partners and decision makers. Coordination, coordination, coordination. Dr. Evans, top priority for you this year. A hard question, but an easy question. Uh, the top priority for us is always the veteran. Um, focused on delivering services and care to the veteran. And I think maybe I would um, highlight the um, executive order um, that was signed by the president in December on transforming federal customer experience and service delivery to rebuild trust across the government. Otherwise, sometimes referred to as putting our people first by improving customer experience and government services, right? This is really important. This is a, happening really across all of the federal government, um, all agencies, um, but it's something that's really, really important, um, has been important for us in VA for a long time and remains a priority. How do we, a lot of what I was talking about with connected care, um, connecting digitally with veterans, delivering services, letting folks engage with us and receive the care that they need anytime and anywhere. Top priority. And enhancing the uh, customer experience for the veterans uh, sounds fantastic and we all appreciate it. Carl, top priority for you at HHS. Uh, that's an easy one. Uh, I was hired because I talked about data. We've talked about data uh, all throughout this so far. And so the top priority at HHS is develop a, a comprehensive department-wide data strategy. And we are in the middle of doing that. Uh, we've got engagement uh, from the deputy secretary on down and to my chief data officer. Uh, we're looking at how can we improve the, the people and the culture associated with how you manage data, bringing in people who are experienced data scientists who understand this kind of thing. We see a lot of pockets of supreme excellence like NIH, CDC. Uh, we want that to be more comprehensive. We want data sharing across the department so that the researchers are sharing information. You know, CMS is able to securely uh, share information but maintain privacy of the individuals involved. We want our internal operations to be efficient as we do this. So how do you manage the data? How do you govern the data? Uh, you know, just the comprehensive look at how we manage and control our data uh, across the department and secure it along the way. I mean, that's a huge concern. So all kinds of things factor into it. But over the next, uh, let's see where the schedule we've got is pretty aggressive here, but the next uh, two, two and a half months, uh, we're moving at light speed to get that uh, data strategy together and begin to develop implementation plans to make parts of it work. All hands on deck on the data. And I love the pockets of supreme excellence. Very well said there. All right. Um, we are going to uh, wrap it up here. Uh, we'd love to talk all day, but we don't have all day. Uh, but we have a, sh a few short moments. And uh, I want to start with you, Seth. And uh, we always like to end with painting a picture of the future. Uh, two to three years, uh, what does it look like from pure storage's standpoint? What is it that you all are developing? Maybe it's out of the Petri dish. Maybe it's still in the Petri dish. What's the demand signal that you're getting as far as positioning for this segment to deliver the goods? Yeah, the, I would say that the ultimately the, the biggest signal that we've seen so far is customer experience, right, ultimately. And that's what everybody on this panel has spoken about. And we have to deliver a better product uh, that allows the people that work on that product to do it effect, 
basically effectively and efficiently so that everybody above it, above and beyond, can do their part of the workflow. So as everybody on this panel has talked about, there are a lot of moving parts. Ryan does more with coordination before lunch than I think most people have done in their life. And you have to have everything uh, basically in line for that to take place. So Pure is doing a number of things to increase uh, physical storage without increasing the footprint. So keeping the same form factor, the same power uh, draw, but making devices larger. We're making things faster, right? You can't uh, you can't make it larger and slower. That just doesn't equate anymore. So we're trying to be good stewards of power, cooling, taxpayer dollars, our own technology, and then enabling folks to stop focusing on infrastructure, so to speak. A happy infrastructure owner that doesn't have to give up nights and weekends, uh, that's providing a service to everybody that's effective and efficient is a great solution. And we're trying to solidify the fact that whether it's today or 10 years from now, not even two or three, it will be ultimately the same platform, the same processes. So once it's ATO'd, once you have your standard operating procedure, it can be something that is just lather, rinse, repeat. Uh, and quite frankly, it could be automated and orchestrated without having to have human interaction. So, Absolutely. And uh, I would say, uh, you know, sort of... Uh, uh, moving up that uh, that stack, if you will, uh, incomes service now, Jonathan. Um, two to three years from now, uh, in this sector, I always like to sort of stay with this sector. I, I, I think I think in uh, over, over that period of time, it's really about uh, the connected clinician, having healthcare providers that have access to the data that they need. We've talked about data a lot. Um, have uh, processes that are. Uh, workload that are automated. So it's very simple for people to do their jobs. And when they, uh, when the data tells you something, actions can happen on the back end without a human having to take them. And we can really streamline the way we provide healthcare. And, you know, underlying all of that, I think is a focus on um, low code capabilities, putting the ability to create workflows and applications in the hand of, uh, in the hands of business users. You know, you can't have every, uh, health IT requirement fl flow through the office of a CIO. Um, the, the, the low code capabilities uh, on the ServiceNow platform allow people with program knowledge, with, with the practical experience to build the systems and uh, applications and workflows that they need to get their jobs done. So let's put those technologies in their hands, build things that work for the patient. You combine that with these ideas of hyper automation where we can take low code plus AI plus RPA and other kinds of uh, uh, very, very powerful technologies and put them together in ways that can digitize and automate end-to-end -end processes. And suddenly it's much simpler to provide healthcare. And that clinician has access to information in the palm of their hands. They can provide exactly the healthcare they need. Things can happen on the back end. So medicine is ordered or uh, supplies are ordered and people don't have to wait for the healthcare that they so desperately need at times. And that's what I think the future is. And ServiceNow is a big part of that. Absolutely. And that whole citizen development, I think you're referring to there, big topic these days. And uh, certainly ServiceNow really enables that. Uh, Murali, uh, Snowflake, two to three years from now, where are you all in regards to delivering these types of capabilities to this healthcare segment? 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, if you look at uh, the, the themes that are uh, popping up in this discussion, right, it's about coordination, it's about collaboration, um, and it's about how we are connecting physicians and clinicians so they they, they take better informed decisions, right? Now, if, if you look at it, there are there are two things that are so critical for this, right? One, we need ability to bring the data together, right, faster. And then two, generate insights uh, at a rapid pace, right? Um, so the time to insights is so critical. Um, now, with this context, uh, I want to talk about uh, one of the interesting um, features or capabilities that we are working on called Native Application Framework. What this frameworks let healthcare organizations do is um, build and deploy data applications um, on Snowflake. And, and, and let me let me break this down for you, right? Uh, you know, let's say that if there is an academic organization or a health technology firm um, that has built a better disease prediction model. They can distribute that model securely through Snowflake Marketplace um, and share with other uh, health system provider. The other health system provider can take that uh, algorithm or model and deploy it onto their environment and run it on top of their patient data without having to ship their data out of their um, environment. Now, this opens up lots of possibilities in terms of how quickly healthcare organizations can collaborate not just on not just with the data but also with algorithms and applications um, and thereby uh, cutting down the time to insights um, and, and deliver better care for patients a uh, very interesting concept and we certainly look forward to that capability of sort of unlocking a lot of the uh, environment carl two to three years from now uh, you obviously you're going to have your whole data structure in place uh, what do you expect to see when you look around, uh, let's say, three years from now in your environment? What I hope to be seen is researchers sharing research data to improve their results, uh, particularly if we look at National Institutes of Health, Centers for Disease Control. You know, they're already working on this, but I'd like to see that dramatically enhanced where we're seeing that sharing. Uh, it's a common issue amongst research labs in the government of uh, having to facilitate that. Uh, we worked out that when I was at the Air Force Research Lab. That was my job to facilitate it there. So I've done it before. I think we can do it again. Like I say, we've got some absolutely outstanding CIOs, the operating divisions. The other thing I'd like to see is with our service providers, getting the, and by that, I mean the healthcare service providers, getting the right information in a secure way that protects patient privacy uh, to the various points of service, whether we're talking clinics, hospitals, pharmacies. Uh, if you look at what Indian Health Services is doing with Mitch Thornborough, their CIO there, they're working on a very large modernization program to to modernize the uh, Indian Health Service uh, medical records uh, capability. And that's going to be some great work. Uh, I'm hoping to help him facilitate that. So that's those are the things I'm looking to see. And it all comes back around to data. And if I could tell, just slip in a challenge here, Luke, the challenge I think we will face over time is how do we get that qualified, highly skilled IT workforce, data research, uh, data scientist workforce in and attract them to government? I think we have a compelling mission. Uh, but there's probably more things we're going to have to work on as a government to attract and retain that talent. A better call to action there. Thank you, Carl. And once again, congratulations, Dr. Evans. Uh, tectonic shift with VHA over the last two to three years. Fast forward two to three years. What can we expect? I think um, just in following the theme of the comments here, I'll, I'll, I'll follow on with the data theme. I, I, I think... Um, 
as we move forward, we've already talked about over the course of the panel today, um, the immense amount of data that we're generating within our healthcare systems. Um, we've also talked about interoperable health data where we can start to share data between healthcare systems. Um, the, the type of data that I don't think we've talked as much about um, that I think really we're going to, we're already seeing the impact, but we're going to see an increasing impact over the next two to three years is patient generated health data, data being collected from devices or being entered by uh, patients in between their visits with the healthcare system. Yeah. Um, what's exciting to me is to think about all of that data coming together, the opportunity we have over the next two to three years to take healthcare system data, data that is shared across the healthcare system for the benefit of um, individual patient care, as well as the you know, finding new insights in that data and adding patient-generated health data, inserting that into clinical workflows to drive clinical decision support for providers, to empower patients in better understanding their own health and their health journey, um, and frankly, to enhance the care or the relationships um, that we can provide in our clinics, basically improving the provider experience and the customer experience, allowing healthcare to become healthcare because the data is already there delivering the insights to drive, um, uh, to drive that care delivery. Fascinating. And we're certainly really looking forward to that. Ryan, take us home. Uh, two to three years, you've got a lot of moving parts uh, going on there. Incredible amount of coordination. That's what your office does. What do, you, what do you expect to see two to three years from now? Well, this is what I want to see. So I'll start with that caveat, but, uh, and we want to see it, I want to see. So we, as I, as I touched on earlier, we want to see that patients and providers have a better healthcare experience, no matter the setting and without any special effort or stress uh, and just total empowerment of their information. To do that, we want to see uh, and, and expect to see that standards affecting consent uh, will, be, will be established and widely adopted, that we will extend the successes that we've had in the true clinical health record context to public health systems and public health information through uh, efforts like the Data Modernization Initiative and partnerships with uh, the OCIO at HHS just to make sure that advancements and innovations through machine learning and other algorithmic-based care are, are fully leveraged uh, and extended to um, all users who are ready to access those. Uh, and to um, finally make sure that the research needs uh, across the country are met, again, making that data available to anyone who can, who can take advantage of it. Uh, and just specific to the workforce that we're both um, making sure that no one is left behind um, from an equity perspective, and also that we take and capture the lessons learned, especially from the past two years, and uh, provide that kind of integrated, holistic learning and, and uh, knowledge base for the future. So taking health IT and combining it with true traditional IT, but also some of the community-based uh, service needs that clearly are going to be more important in the future. And really unlocking this fantastic experience. I want to thank each one of you for taking time out of your busy schedules today to join us on this program and, and doing the important work that you're doing uh, uh, for all the Americans, most notably the, the veterans and everyone else. And I'd also like to thank the sponsors for supporting us on the show. 
I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make our program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank you, the listening audience that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum, part of the Federal News Network.